Hi everyone and welcome back to CritCast. This is the podcast that offers the personal side behind the persona of world-leading athletes and performers. We are for the athletes, for the fans and for the future. We have another very special guest joining us on the podcast this week. His name is Jake Smith. Jake, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. And yourself? Very good, thank you, mate. It's your second appearance on the podcast. This is a uh, perhaps more an in-depth one than we talked about um, at Euro Cross Country. But um, just for the listeners, do you want to give yourself, um, you don't need to give yourself an introduction, but more what's been going on the last two weeks in the life of Jake Smith? Um, I've just started. So after Euro Cross, I uh, took a bit of time, downtime, like went out a couple of times, just enjoying myself, especially after Dublin, which is really nice. Unfortunately, like I thought I was going to do a 3K at Christmas Classic in Cardiff, but on the Wednesday I did a session and, my legs were just battered still. I think I put so much effort into Liverpool, then Eurocross, I didn't really know how they'd feel. And then on the, the following Monday, so on the 20th of December, I actually got um, tested positive for COVID. So me and my housemate Kieran, we both had to isolate. Miss, we didn't go home, so we just had a Christmas together, created a YouTube channel through it. Um, luckily, I didn't get any symptoms or anything. Um, I kept um, an eye on my heart rate overnight during the day and if I felt all right to train I just trained in like a very easy state just to keep the legs moving over and yeah I'm just getting back into training went to Cardiff went out for New Year's in Cornwall which was quite nice and just been enjoying like everything since isolation was over really yeah definitely and what's that sort of group like because uh you know we um met on an, uh, on a night out in Liverpool which is really exciting um and you know it seems that Cardiff just sort of breeds that um hub of a good community and sort of like that family atmosphere How, how's it been for you I guess just growing the sort of connections and surrounding yourself with good people yeah honestly the, the guys like we went out with everyone who um comes from Cardiff everyone's so easy to get to know so easy to talk to if you don't know anyone you can just go up to someone at the track have a good five ten minute conversation it doesn't need to be about running or anything like that and that's what I love about the Cardiff the the atmosphere around there and what's uh what's Cardiff like for a night out then because I've I've heard some stories of uh you being in the SU or maybe not being in the SU I'm not too sure how true those are um yeah I have been in the SU and I've been out out of it a couple of times (laughs) but um yeah it's, it's a great great um night out and I would recommend it to everyone who wants to go to Cardiff it's, uh, if there's any takeaways from uh, this episode already it's uh, go on a night out in Cardiff <laughs> of course of course absolutely and you know Jake what's uh, I guess what's really important to to highlight from the top is um, you know some of the your your credentials both on the you know on the road as you know in, in pacemaking as well as your uh, your achievements um, on the track as well and, and so many of us will be you know familiar with your Strava account as well so you know Talk us through, I guess, um, when you first started, I guess, documenting everything on, on Strava in particular um, and how that's developed as well. So when I first moved to the UK, I just used Garmin Connect because just like my family, um, all my family were on it. And we were just like almost just showing each other's training, just going from there. And I wasn't really a massive fan of Strava. I don't think Strava was like not that big, but I didn't know many people who were using it. And then it was like in 2016 or something. I was like, okay, I'm just going to give this a try. And then I think I got such a good feel for like the segments. And I just fell in love. I was just chasing down segments. And yeah, I love it. I, I think the big thing for me is a lot of, like elite athletes or a lot of full-time athletes don't put anything on Strava I can only name like a handful and it's the reception I get from other people Uh, people love how I just put it on there sometimes my description of activities are way too long um, for for my purposes but um, yeah I I love helping people out and I think it 
it's quite good. And at the end of the day, if people do copy my training, I, I don't mind because at the end of the day, I'm doing my own training as well. So I'm getting the benefit. So I, I do really think it's a great, great app. It's so important, isn't it? And especially, I guess, having that um, transparency, like it seems that uh, between, you know, the difference between the people right at the top, you know, isn't too much in terms of their training and perhaps, you know, sharing some yeah. of those sessions is is always a good thing. And, you know, for um, for you as well, what's the, uh, yeah, that sort of reaction, does it, does it create a bit more interaction with, um, you and other people on, uh, on on the app as well as in the athletics community? Yeah, so uh, I think a big thing is that I get to know other people, how they're training. The best thing is you kind of see like what shape they're in, your competitors and stuff and, and like that. And um, quite a few people have sent me questions through Instagram, through Strava, and I try and answer them. So I think it's just a great, it just brings the whole community together. That's why I, like, I love running. Like you can go to football, you're only going to be part of the team. You, you go up against anyone else, you're not going to be a fan of them. Whereas in the running community, I don't think there's any like bad or bad guys or anything. Like you can just talk to anyone you want to, which is why I love the sport. Yeah, so so important, definitely. Um, and I guess to um, sort of rewind the clock as such and, and sort of go back to where it sort of first began. What was your first, I guess, running memory? It was probably like cross country back in Hong Kong. Um, just like on a, in Hong Kong, there's not many like, they say it's cross country, but honestly, it's a road race. It's on the AstroTurf and then around the campus because there's like no grass really in Hong Kong or anything. So that was it. Or just going over the mountains with my parents, like one of them, like after football, rugby, and they were just going for like a run. You just like tag along. So it's probably one of those. Yeah. And how, how does it differ your, um, I guess, the the upbringing that you had against the perhaps the people that you've become friends with now that have grown up in the UK? Obviously, you were, you're based in Hong Kong for around 13, 14 years. If that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess talk us through perhaps what uh, the differences might have been with life in Hong Kong versus uh, the UK. Oh, Hong Kong was it was mental. Like, again, I would recommend anyone to go there. Like, it's just such a small country and so populated. And but <laughs> I think I got quite a bit, I'm not really sure if it was benefit, but my parents used to put like an hour max on how far I could run because of the pollution and the heat. So right, when, wow. when we do go to like, it would be like 100% humidity, 35 degrees, because you get all the pollution coming over from China. So when it comes to like, maybe that's why I didn't get any symptoms from COVID because I've got all this stuff from me in Hong Kong or something or everything <laughs> I've breathed in from that country. But yeah, I, I do tend to find when I do go to like, hotter countries I do feel a bit better than a lot of people in the UK because I have like grown up in that environment before and it but I do find that the running here is so much nicer like in Hong Kong you have a handful of places but because everything's so populated if you're not on the countryside you there's no chance you can run really right yeah it makes a lot of sense and I guess how did you um I guess uh balance that then if it was quite difficult to train in different places you know what, what was it like when you're doing you know sessions in the early days obviously you had a lot of progression in the last few years but I guess um just going through those school age groups so a lot of my training was actually like on a treadmill back in school in Hong Kong just because of the heat and wow. and the humidity so I was doing a lot of them but I didn't really follow structure so it was almost how far I could run in an hour and then just try and beat it each time so those were sort of the things and then even at college I still didn't really have a when I went to exit college here I still didn't really have a proper structure I had a bit more insight into it but I was like almost training 89% to my of my max every day that's why I like got two stress fractures from it just over training so when I first came to Cardiff then I started following structure that's where I saw such big progress awesome and then th that structure I guess um under James D will take us back to the first um like interaction that you might have had with him because I know that the 
I guess the, the coach and athlete relationship is so important for, for so many. And actually we see some people that will stay with a coach for, you know, a long um, time in their career. And some people will sort of um, dip in and out. Like what was that first memory that you had of, I guess, catching up with James T? Um, the first memory was actually a, um, we did a cross country session at Heath, like the standard one for freshers and, and I remember turning up, I had like a rugby vest on, rugby shorts, like <laughs> crappy shorts on. And um, that was the first time I met him. Like I had messaged him, but, uh, and he was like, oh, just go and do, I forgot what it was like, four minute reps. And at the time I didn't know who anyone was. And I just apparently just went to the front and um, I think I took a rep, but it was, and the guys who I was training with were Jake Hayward, Yian Thomas and Steve Mitchell, who I, I didn't, I, I think I had only heard of, um, Jake Hayward apart from that I didn't know who any of these guys were so I just went to the front I think they were just coming back to fitness but I was like you know what I need to show like you know what freshers do absolutely try and kill themselves the first session and, <laughs> yeah the first interaction and then ever since we've been really close yeah I, I, that always happens doesn't it you always get that that keen fresher that's uh that wants to show you know what they've yes. got in the first couple of weeks um I was at Loughborough for a couple of months um before dropping out and starting full-time work but when we were there um, I remember getting so fit in the first eight weeks because I was bombing absolutely everything but forgetting that when you're at Loughborough and you know Cardiff and Birmingham you know these hubs in the UK that um, you know are just full of amazing athletes you realize that even when you're you know your session isn't you're not right at the front you're still doing pretty well compared to yes. perhaps others in the, in the country so how did that then develop when you've got you know a group as good as that with you know the names that you've mentioned your top top class welsh athletes um you know welsh record holder in there um steeplechase specialist in yarn thomas so how did that then then develop from your rugby top and your rugby shorts to um to sort of mixing it with those boys well first thing i think i went on to um sports shoes nike and actually bought some kit uh, <laughs> and then um but yeah it was it was incredible like the the group has just got better and better like of course we've like lost quite a few people, but it has been unreal, and we um I think it's just going to get better from there. And every session, like every person has like is better at this session. So for example, if it was speed work, Hayward would absolutely annihilate me. The longer stuff, I would help try and help him out as much as possible. So it's really really good. How like in each session you have someone who's almost leading it, which is really good instead of just the one person leading every single session almost having to do all the work by themselves yeah completely and how much um would you train on your own i guess throughout the week because you guys have got um obviously you and kieran have got you set up with uh your cross trainer and uh treadmill yes. i think that's right so yes. a couple of videos of those um so how much would you train with the group and then how much do you train uh, perhaps on your own so for cross country um when i got into like the liverpool went to liverpool i was doing the tuesday and friday sessions with the group um wednesdays i'd run with like kieran hennigan james hennigan peers but because now our train our training is so different. So, for example, Piers and James Hennigan are training for the fifteen hundred indoors. I'm training for like a half marathon. So, it's just a case of it's quite hard to almost like run together. For example, because their sessions are so different to mine. Luckily, I was able to train with them on Tuesday because I'm just coming back into it and I wanted a bit of speed work. But it does get quite hard when I'm doing the half build up. Whereas with cross country, more runs are with the group. Mm. Yeah, completely. And I guess that that half marathon background, where where does that come from, really? Because I guess you've, you know, at, at quite a young age, I think you're maybe a year or a couple of years older than me, um, you know, looking at sort of, how old are you, 23, 24? Three. 
23, right? So, you know, we've already seen you, um, you know, excel, at, uh, I guess, at the under 23 age group and then moving through that. I guess, when, where did that, um, where did that engine, that sort of, uh, your, your ability to ke- uh, cope with the mileage come from? So I think it was because in Hong Kong, they don't have any rules on what distances. So I remember they almost like push you forward. I remember winning a local 10K race when I was 15 and I had to lie about my age because you had to be 16 to enter. So I came home with like the trophy and stuff. And then, and then in 2014, when I was 16, I did my first half marathon in the Netherlands. And then when I came to England and I found out up until year 13, the max distance I really want you to do apart from cross is 3K. I was like, what? Like, how are they only doing oh, 3K? Yeah. But um, yeah, then I learned more about it. And I think it's just because I used to play all the sports back in Hong back in England. And because I just started from quite quite a young age at distance even though I wasn't very good but I just built up that aerobic base mm. yeah it's awesome and actually um it was Mark Vile the uh one of the head coaches at Cambridge and Coleridge that messaged me and said uh ask Jake um if he's still thinking about becoming a 1500 meter runner I can see the uh the this uh, the smirk on your face he said that you might you might know what he's talking about there yeah so it was in first time we went to Portugal in like 2017 or 2018 and I'd I think I'd run 64 minutes for the half or something or no, or I was about to, and we are doing sessions in Portugal and he like, because I, I, I'm not that quick over the short stuff. He comes up to me and says, yeah, you're a 1500 athlete. Forget about the longer distances. And I'm like, no, nah, I don't <laughs> think you're, ch- I don't think you're right. And then I think like the year after I ran 62 minutes and I think I shut him off after that. <laughs> 60, 30. So I think he now knows that I'm a bit of a distance runner. No, it's a good point. I think especially um, when it comes to, you know, the, the people that you surround yourself with and, and train with, it could be an easy uh, connection to make that you might be a 1500 meter guy, but you're definitely, uh, you know, uh, suited to the to the longer stuff. And you had a lot of experience that um, of that last year. And could you pinpoint perhaps one um, performance or event that that you did, particularly with the longer distances that, you know, really stood out for you for um, for one of the best in the year? What did you mean? My own performance or like someone else's performance? Yeah, no, for, uh, for yourself, really. Yeah. Um, oh, it has to be the marathon, I guess. It was yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> um, just fit like everyone asked, Did you think you were going to finish? I was like, Nah, like I went, like I did 18 miles two days before, did a 40 50k cycle day before, traveled up, and there was no tape or anything. And like, there was no fat thinking on my mind, but I think I was just like, Each mile, yeah, let's just keep going. And then but yeah, that has to be the standout one for the year. Yeah. And and when you get into that then in terms of um, like the build up and the intention itself, what was the actual intention for for um, for that particular race to to pace them around to, you know, a couple of Ks and then and then drop out? <laughs> um, yeah, I was only supposed to go to 15 miles, but because it was a lap course, I remember um, the guy who finished second actually kept telling me he was like, just one more lap, one more lap. And then by 20 miles, I asked Organ, I was like, can I please just finish this? Because it was only like, <laughs> that. That that's the, like the mental thing about laps. It's so easy. Like you tell yourself one more lap instead of thinking like, you know, a London Marathon, if you're really struggling last five miles, horrible. But if you say to yourself, okay, it's two more laps. I've done this many laps already. Mentally, it just feels a bit nicer. 
Yeah. And, and perhaps that's, you know, really good advice to, um, to anyone that's listening actually, in terms of that mentality where you think you can push yourself to a certain um, point and then you can always go perhaps one better. And, you know, when you get into those, those environments then, and, and you're always someone that's quite animated when you're running. And that's what I get really excited about, even at um, the London marathon, when you came across uh, tower bridge and we're standing there and you just give us one of these with the, um, (laughs) the, you know, shaking your hand sort of thing. And, you know, are you you talking, um, to the, I guess to the other athletes when you're when you're doing the pacing because I mean from the outset you always seem pretty in control yeah so with the pacing like at the end of the day I, I'm having to think about the other athletes it's not me it's I'm how, having to help them so I say to them before the race like I'm gonna put my like thumb up if you're feeling good thumb down if you're feeling bad and every mile or two I'm asking like is everyone like almost put on my hands make like turn around make sure they're feeling good because you can you can tell with athletes when they're struggling if their breathing goes out the window if their form goes so because I'm with them for that long in the marathon as soon as their form goes that I can I know it straight away so and now I've had really good experience I absolutely love that pacing job yeah it's so cool and I think it's it's quite an underrated thing as well um you know and actually the you always think especially at the at the standard that you're doing because you know you've paced someone to a European record and pace Phil Sessaman to you know first Brit home at the London Marathon you know often people might think that um, you know pacing is just like one job but actually it, it makes a real impact so you know I guess what are your um, what is your feelings when you're perhaps pacing and when you're when you finish the pacing and then you see someone do particularly well um, off the back of your your good efforts? Oh, it was, it was amazing. I think the one about Bashir was, um, again, it was like, because I, at 25k, two of the guys who came second and third just went, they went stupidly, did a surge and died. And I remember like looking around because they did such a big um, surge, they broke all the paces. And then Bashir was just shouting my name, like Jake, Jake. So I had to like, that's a, because I was there for him. So I had to slow down because he was just off the back and like pulling back forward. And I remember getting 27k and then I let him go and he was just motoring and at the finish line I was like I didn't I couldn't tell who was leading um it's quality and I went straight to finish line and as soon as he crossed that line I think within 10-15 seconds he came over and gave me a hug and cross it was just amazing because it's like because I helped him like I was almost part of his journey and then I got like a message off him um I even got a happy new year message off him so oh, nice, it just shows nice. yeah it just shows like how nice he is and it shows that I did a good job because he's still in contact with me so I think that's even better yeah completely and I think you know those memories that are created and again it comes probably down to the the people that you surround yourself with is is so important and and even um with pacing I'm just thinking like literally off the top of my head now of like the difference between track paces and um you know road paces it seems like there's also the sort of um the financials are different as well because obviously you've got a different length race there's probably more money on the line for a major marathon or something like that could you go and give us a bit of insight into uh, perhaps like I guess the financials of pacing a, a marathon versus perhaps a track race um so I've never really paced a track race so I couldn't like okay. say how much I was done there but like with the marathon you get like a couple of um couple of grand depending on like how far you get so they give you so for the Rotterdam they say uh, I was only supposed to go to 21k but he said anything more you get more money so I was always thinking was I want more money <laughs> but um yeah, same with London. I was only supposed to go to 30k once 20 miles because I wanted to help out Phil because I've been training with him. But um, they give you like a bit, it's almost like a base phase to a certain point. 
you almost have to get there otherwise you don't get the money and then anything over they give you a bit more and then because it was like a european record i got a bit more from that as well so it's basically like a little bit of commission on top of your uh, yes. your base salary <laughs> yeah i like it because i think sometimes it's that um the understanding from a lot of listeners that you'd never really see and i think the the scale is a lot different because you've got a, a lot more exposure in major marathons as well i think they're a lot more likely to be televised than perhaps um yes. you know a, a race like a, a track race for example but you mentioned phil there and um actually i've seen a couple of videos of you training in in leeds um with you know kieran was there emil caress and even uh fog dog uh who was it was over there so you know for how was it like training with those guys up at leeds and perhaps the opportunity to get out of cardiff and just explore a bit more of, of uh training with other groups yeah, it was because we've been doing so many miles in Cardiff. It was almost we almost needed uh, like to go somewhere else, and because it was quite hard to get out of the country, we just thought, "Where's the best like place? Who who do we want to train with?" And uh, we went up to train with Phil. We trained with um, Kipchoge, Phil's dog as well a lot. Went nice. around with him, um, did a lot of big sessions with him, helped him with his marathon specific stuff. Uh, trained with Emil on the track and Fog Dog, Adam Fog. And yeah, we just got so fit from it. And it just gave us an insight into what training is like outside of Cardiff. And it, it's just exceptional. Like Britain, you can see in the other distances, like I felt like a few years ago, maybe we were a bit behind, you know, like the likes of America and stuff. But I do feel like, especially with like the, the middle distance women, girls coming through, even the middle distance men now, we are getting a better, stronger team. And it, I think it showed when we went to Leeds and we saw the talent, even in the other youngsters there as well. I like you mentioned about the hubs. I think they're a great um, step forward. Mm, yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, when you go up to, you know, somewhere like these, is there anything in particular that they were doing differently that you hadn't thought of or something that just um, gave you a bit more exposure to that type of training? I think the the sessions were very similar. Just um, it depends on what paces they wanted to hit. Phil was doing very, very big mileage because um, for the marathon. So, that was new for me because yes, I had almost followed people on Charlotte, but it is a bit different when you see see it like firsthand and join it. And like it's almost like if you look on Charlotte, like oh, they've only hit five minute mile. But if you don't have to do it for eighteen to twenty miles, like he was doing, yeah, it is tricky. But it was it, I, I learned so much about it. I learned more about like what Phil did, like because he was a part time doctor as well, so he was having to go in and some of the runs in Leeds are amazing. You do have to drive to like there's a few reservoirs you can go to, but where they have the track right next to the grass, like they have that road loop there as well, then a grass pit. So it's a great, great up there. Yeah, there's lots going on. I think, especially as we've seen, um, even in the triathlon scene, you've got, you know, Alex, yeah. he was based up there with uh, the Brownlee brothers as well. And it seems to be a bit of a, a hub that leads place. And we've seen it, you know, for the last couple of years when um, they're competing the road relays and doing, you know, exceptionally well um, yeah. at the expense of like many Tunbridge teams, which isn't always helpful, but, you know, that that, uh, <laughs> that happens, right? So, and also, I guess, um, from, from your perspective, when you look back over, 2021 and you know there was so many firsts you know your first contract first um i guess appearance in eurocross for the senior age groups uh, half marathons uh, full marathons uh, you know there's so many to pick from but if we were to dive into i guess your recent contract with with nike could you just talk us through the story of like how that comes about and i guess the sort of emotions as well when you know you first get that call around around a nike contract because for, for many and i'm sure it was for you like you know it's a dream come true yeah, it was like you said, a dream come true. Um, I was, on, I think, I was on there a bit of like they'd be meshing me a couple of times. I've been sent some kit, but because of COVID, they, um, I think, 
they were like dropping some athletes, bringing some athletes in. So it was, it was a lot, quite a lot of hassle to see who they wanted to bring in. And then when I did get the call up saying, okay, we really want to sign you. We want you, this is the contract. You, like you say, it was dream come true. Like I just wanted, I, I was just so happy. And now because I've been training that hard, it's now like my profession. So it's almost, it's like, it gives me an excuse instead of, so for example, if I come home, I'm like, it's my job to go run. So like if my parents say, oh, you can miss a run. Now they actually know it's actually yeah. my job to run. If if I don't perform, I don't get like the the money or I might get dropped. So it, it, it's a bit of added pressure, but I, I love that pressure. And it, it makes you like, it almost gives you that, um, like I get out the door now because I'm like, it's it's almost hard to miss a run because there's that added pressure. Like if I don't perform, I'm not going to get the money. So it's like, okay, I have to get out that door and do the session and complete this run. So yeah, it's amazing. Well, and, and also I guess that it is that accountability really where you got that, uh, you know, that added pressure. And is there anything particularly that they look out for or they ask from you in terms of like performances? Because, you know, with so many different contracts, you might get certain, you know, standards that you need to meet or, or whatever. Or is, is there any particular sort of benchmarks or races that they're asking you to do this year? Uh, there's no real particular races. They just sent like, because I'm more of a distance runner, like what races they would like think I could do in, over the half. If I wanted to do a marathon, which races are like gold, standard, silver, like wherever they are. And then there's like a number of races I have to complete over the season. And then there's like the kit drops and stuff. And then they sent over like the, the base phase, the, how much money I get for bonuses. Um, they would love me to go to the world champs. So I think that's the idea. Try and get the 10K time. And I think it would be great if I did, because then it shows like my first proper year with Nike, if I made a world champs team, I think they'll really like that. Yeah, completely. And I guess, um, you know, perhaps in a in a year of uh, massive successes, uh, I guess the 10K at, at Birmingham was one that maybe to, to forget or maybe to learn from. Yeah. Um, what were yeah. your sort of reflections from that performance there? I think the first few days it was horrible because I put so much training into it. But then I thought about like what I'd achieved already. And like you said, I learned so much from it. Like I know I was just stupid the week before in some of the training because I had put so much pressure on that time. Um, I just trained way too hard. So I've like that's why I've gone into the heart rate, heart rate games and do a lot of my training at heart rate zones because if I looked back at the training I was doing back then, it was just stupid, like in terms of my heart rate is way too high. So that was the biggest learning curve. And I generally think because I was doing sessions, like I was never very good at cross country and the fact they'd gone to a British team full cross off heart like I was genuinely doing a lot of heart rate stuff sessions I think that's the reason why I got into the team because it just made me strong and I wasn't as fatigued as early on in the season that's so interesting actually um Thomas Claridge who is uh, an under 17 athlete at Tunbridge and um, was really keen uh, to get you on the podcast he actually said to me in the the New Year's Eve training uh, session that we had he said get Jake Smith on the pod so I was like right I'll drop in a little snapchat and uh, and we'll get him involved but um but Thomas asked um you know why are you so focused around heart rate and actually I think that opens up a wider conversation. So Jake, for anyone who perhaps hasn't used um, like heart rate as a measure of their training, can you just give a, I guess, a little insight and um, just describe like what you're looking for with your heart rate and, and how you measure that with your, with your training sessions? So I did some testing uh, a couple of months ago on treadmill, which um, in Exeter, and they gave me like almost heart rate zone for like what easy running would be, steady running, tempo, threshold and stuff like that. And that's what my coach and I, James, use and I have used going into the cross-country season. So I've based my training off those heart rates. It, like right now, because I'm only two, three weeks back, my heart rate's gone back down to normal. But 
like sometimes depending on how tired you are you almost have to exclude them but I do find heart rate so helpful like for example before the 10k in Birmingham I did like a 10 mile session on the track where I ran 46 24 for a k on k off and I looked at my heart rate after and the average was 186 and 196 and that was about seven eight higher than what it was when I won the big half and what it was when I was at Great North Run um and, it, and I was just like, okay, that's just stupid. Like, I've actually done a harder race eight days before the Olympic trials. Wow, so yeah. that was the biggest turnaround and change in my training. I said to James that I need to bring it back. And ever since, I've, like, felt better after sessions. I feel like I can now do one, two reps more, whereas last, before the 10K, I felt like I couldn't do another rep afterwards. So that's the biggest change in my training. And I feel like going to a heart rate, and making sure I don't fatigue as quickly is the most important thing. Yeah. And, and actually the heart rate side is, is something that I never really looked into. And, you know, for you talked about those zones that you got from um, like going down to Exeter and just like walk us through each, each stage really. So let's say you were doing like your easy runs or your tempos or like race pace. What, what are they give us the breakdown of um, perhaps those heart rates? Yeah, sure. So the easy runs were like 130 to 150 beats, but, I do find because I'm getting fitter, uh, if I hit 150, it'd be like, it, it, on a very good day, it could almost be like 520, 530 miling, which isn't technically easy. So um, <laughs> it was about 130 to 140. And then um, like steady would be about 140 to 160. Tempo, we do about 160 to 174. And then like reps would be about 180 onwards and then you know like almost a bit harder tempo would be about 175 to 180 so it gets very specific and like in some sessions like James has told me you're not allowed to go above 175 for example in the max or 180 because if I go above 180 it starts to become like a proper rep whereas the main idea is for it to be in a tempo zone so it is really interesting and it actually makes a run go by quite fun because you're not concentrating on the pace you're not getting stressed you're only just looking at the heart rate you have to speed up you have to speed up if you have to slow down and you're still getting the benefit because at the end of the day it's your heart like it's your heart rate that gets the benefit so i do find it very very important yeah that's that's really cool and and going on to i guess um one of the questions that has come in from mark hookway in fact um which is you know touching on the the relationship that you've got with james d and i know that the coaching network in the uk is is fantastic with so many sharing um lots of ideas and mark asked you know how much um, of your training session when James sets it, do you deviate from it? Because we obviously saw with like the, the marathon, for example, where you just carried on running and won it and then ran an Olympic standard, you know, as you do, um, you know, <laughs> like how often would that happen? Like in a training block? So he sends me like the plan and I'll, I'll have like, before the plan, say he sends me a two, three week plan. I'll like go over and be like, okay, is there, if there's a group there, like a training group, I'll be like, okay, can I train with these guys and change it slightly? Um, but most of the time, I do I do follow it. Um, I think what I'm worse with is pacing. So if he says, I always run about 20 seconds faster for, say, if it was like a two, three mile rep, and he just keeps telling me to slow down. So a constant, he's on the bike a lot. And I think that's another reason why I've gone to heart rate. So he knows I'm training right zone instead of absolutely just rinsing, killing myself. And in some, it's quite good because he's so nice about it. We have a good communication. And for example, like tomorrow, um, I'm doing like a fartlek because it's my third session back, but over just on a hilly course, just to make it a bit more enjoyable. It's an out and back. So I know it's not like loops or anything. And I said, look, uh, like when I was in the, 
build up for cross country. I really like this session. He said, yeah, that's perfect. It's almost like a tempo session. So we go through exactly how long the distance is and there's no need for pace. So he, he's really good into it. And he tells me, like, he always gives me an insight into what heart rate I should hit on some runs. And I speak to him pretty much every day, let him know how I am. So it's a really good relationship. Oh, I like it. It's good stuff. Yeah, I like, I like the question from Mark. We were actually down at, um, at TAC filming um, sort of like our own sweat elite type uh, video because oh, yeah. I know that I feel like um, a lot of people now they don't just like to see the races but they like to see even behind it and I guess Strava is an element of that which we've talked about but also that um, that sort of video content as well so we gave it a little go um, I've done it on my iPhone so we'll just find out how that how that all comes out but you know how the champions train at Tunbridge Athletic Club people will find that very soon but you had your own you had your own experience of that with um with the real sweat elite um yes. and at the uh, the cardiff indoor track when you're doing a little session with um peers and and also james hennigan and i guess like not just that specific session but looking at um the sport overall and perhaps the exposure that certain athletes get how important do you think it is for us to um you know, be be promoting the sport a bit more and, and having things like Sweat Elite or, you know, podcasts to to really show um, that side of the athlete? I think, um, like, for example, when, when he messaged me, Sweat Elite messaged me and he asked me, look, I'm in London on Monday, Tuesday. Is there a group there? And I literally told him, oh, Jack Rome, Dan Jarvis. And that day he filmed them in the morning and filmed me. So that's two big groups, like, and they're getting more exposure. But running is, like, I think it's the best sport out there. Like, when you think about it, everybody runs. I've had this argument with everyone, but at the end of the day, you go to school, you're running, like you run in PE, like even though a lot of people absolutely hate it, despise it, you're giving it a go. Whereas a lot of other sports, you might not go up and play in badminton, you may never play badminton, you may never play football or cycle or anything. So I think it's a great sport and it does need to get big because you look at the likes, of, if you compare us to football, like we are nothing, but when you when it comes to the Olympics, you look at how many fans and how many people go to watch like the sport. I think the big thing as well is over lockdown, how many football and rugby players have messaged me asking for tips about how to stay fit. And I'm like, so why are you messaging me now? Because you can't play the sport and you're messaging <laughs> a runner. So I think it just shows how important the running is. And like is example, like Parkrun, that's doing so much so well. And um, Sweat Elite is doing so well. These podcasts are doing so well. And I think it's given a big insight into how important running is in the community yeah and and i think you know for people like ourselves that are hugely passionate about it and it's been a you know big part of our whole lives we can probably understand why you know we want to see more but i also think that you know the engagement of people that perhaps would never see running as like exciting or fun you know they're, they're starting to see that now and i think there's always been a challenge where we look at like an olympic year and then people get excited about athletics mm. but i do think that you know, behind everything that um, we do with the Olympics, there's also so much around athletics that is um, is really exciting. And I guess, um, like for you, what would be those, some of those main points? So some of the, the main reasons why you love that high level competition and and I guess as a fan, as well as an athlete for yourself? I think it's uh, the big thing for me is like the nerves. Like you get so nervous, even when I go to watch GB and anything, you get so nervous for the athlete. And I think that's the, that's the big thing. You just want everyone to do well. I mean, it's just such an enjoyable sport to watch. Like, you look at the speed of the 400 athletes. Like, me being a distance runner, I just can't believe, like, Warholm, how fast he is over the hurdles. And you just go there and watch it, and it just blows your mind. And then you see them, like, the training, like, the training videos as well. It's 
how much work we actually put into it, into the sport, which just amazes me as well. Mm. Yeah, well, I was having a conversation with um, one of my brother's friends, Ollie, and uh, we were talking about just the the speed of the 5K. Um, and, you know, you yourself, you're about a 1330 guy and, you know, looking to go um, a sub uh, 1320, I think I saw in terms of your, uh, your sort of targets this year. But, you know, the guys that are world record um, last year or, or the year before were, you know, they're running like 1235, <laughs> five, yeah. 5,000 minutes. And, and, you know, you go down to a park run and, and people, you know, really excited to get PBs at double that time. Um, and I think sometimes people don't appreciate how much work goes into it, but also yes. the speed of people going around the track. And I just think sometimes it needs a bit more like um, innovative ideas where yes. you've got something that is really easily measured. I'd, I'd love to, I guess, um, just brainstorm like your ideal event as well. Um, so if you could have like any track meet or um, like an event, you know, what would you have included? What would you like to see? Uh, I mean... I think that Ekaden, you know, the thing in Japan and America, I think that's unreal. Like, we need to create something like that. It's it's sort of like the uh, long, you know, there's like a longer distance and a shorter one each time. That's really, really good. Yeah. Um, but that Ekaden thing where you, everyone does different distances or the DMR mile in America, you know, indoors. Like, if they brought that into like Bucks or British Champs or something, it'd be so cool. Yeah, absolute carnage. And I think even... Um you know, looking at this year as well, especially, I think that because we had like, uh, you know, a lot of disruption over the last couple of years with races, I think it gives us a good opportunity to learn what's worked well and, and what hasn't worked well. And so I guess um, for you this year, what are the, what are the main aims going forward and what events are you particularly looking forward to? The, the main aim is the um, world champs 10 K time. Like I really want to show people that like, I, I think I'm capable of running that. So that's just trying to find the right race and get fast for it. And then I would love to break 60 for the half because it's just like such a big barrier, like to break an hour for it. Um, those are the two of the big aims. And we'll see if I'm allowed to do another Eurocross because the Eurocross is just the team atmosphere is just incredible. And I think what I love about cross country is for most of the year, I'm just constantly thinking about times. Whereas in cross country, I heard people saying it's, it's about places. There's no times about it. So that's what I love about it. It gives you like two, three months not to focus, get stressed on the times and just enjoy it. Yeah. And I love, I mean, going out to Dublin, I think that was yeah. one of the highlights of the year, um, you know, for a lot of the people that that were there and especially those making a team for for the first time. And, you know, it's good to good to spend time with you out there and especially get, yeah, the, really get, get the powers going, um, you know, yeah. <laughs> shouting power the whole time. It's so good. Like just for, for context, it's obviously a bit of an inside joke, but when, uh, when Jake and I were out in Liverpool, you know, I think uh, we were both feeling the effects of perhaps the, uh, the alcohol, um, and my brother had given me some great advice um, from this guy called Jeremy Fragrance, who's just like this YouTuber that just loves fragrances and he's really passionate about it. And uh, he he just takes a big inhale and he just screams, power, baby. And so I said to Jake and I was like, right, Jake, we're going to get ourselves sorted. We're going to make it through this. Um, we're just going to scream power, baby. And then at Eurocross, I felt like at one point we just had everyone. <laughs> I just had a few too many Guinnesses. <laughs> Yeah, it was funny. It was very, very funny. Oh, brilliant. And and naturally, we've got some um, quickfire questions from a um, couple of the listeners um, of the pod. So quite simply, um, this is a very quick question. Uh, diet question mark. I'll leave that up to you to answer. So just diet question so, mark. <laughs> I'm a massive fan of Nutella and peanut butter. Basically, every day. 
um so it was like with toast and stuff and then I try and get like like for example dinner like you get good rice pasta and meat vegetables on the side with some sauce I have like an ice cream sundae every Sunday so I have like a, a whole two bucket loads of ice cream like two <laughs> whole like, so I have a lot of that um but yeah it's just the standard just getting everything in like just making sure I'm fueled enough for sessions making sure I'm hydrated enough as well like the hydration is a big thing because even though we're in a cold country, cold country now, you just forget how much you sweat. So mm. yeah, it's just standard Nutella and peanut butter. I love. It gives me, um, you know, a lot of these podcasts give me good confidence that I could actually be an athlete because I do eat like that. Um, but perhaps I just need to focus a bit more on the training. I'm not too sure. Um, but uh, we've also got a, a comment from um, Nikki Faulkner, um, who's asked you to rank road, cross country, and track in order of your favorite to race and your favorite to watch. So we'll start with favourite to race. Where would you rank those three? Uh, um, roads. See, the thing is, because I didn't really, because um, I wasn't really like a big fan of cross until after Dublin. So I think it's hard because cross was just amazing to watch it. But uh, I'll, I'll probably have to go road track cross just because no. the different distances you get at track, like incredible. But if I, if I could go to Dublin and be a spectator now there again, I would have absolutely loved that. Yeah, no, it was um, it was phenomenal, and actually, you know, the credit to the Irish because they put yeah. on a show. I mean, yeah. you know, having um, in in especially in the under twenty threes race when you had like Charles Hicks versus yes. Darren McGinley, like that was a joke. I think the um, the commentator that day, I don't know how he had a voice at the end of it because he was just going the whole day. We should have had yeah. like a count on the number of times he said Dara because it was literally like Dara, 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 Dara. Dara. <laughs> it was incredible. Uh, so good, I guess from um, from both sides of that. Is- and one of the the questions that I had actually um, was, uh, what is your obsession with the weather? You are the weatherman. You, oh, you I do love that. checking the weather. Love that. Love. love I, I check it all the time. I've already I've checked about ten times what the weather is tomorrow. It's going to be absolutely grim, but <laughs> just getting it done. But just make sure. Um, I have a loop back here and in um Axmouth and it's along the seafront so I go along the seafront half of it and then through the house and the other so I always check the weather because you always go with the wind along the seafront and then a bit more shelter so I think it's because of that I'm now just constantly checking the weather where did it where did it all start was it because of that you just thought I can't be doing a headwind on the seafront I think it was because like during lockdown because I came back home and like we did get hot hot temperatures but I think I did one session head when I was like why why is it so much harder to turn around? I was like, oh, that's the reason why. <laughs> and I think as well, it's like a big thing in Hong Kong because my parents didn't let me, like, say, for example, run when it was a certain temperature. And we also had a rule, like in primary school, we actually had a rule when, when it got too hot, they didn't let you outdoors because it was just too hot. So I think I've always just grown up with it. And because a lot of the time, like we had typhoons in Hong Kong and, and stuff and like that. And we couldn't play. We actually, some sport got cancelled because of it. So I'm just always checking the weather now. Wow. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, you've got a lot of talents. I mean, obviously you're, you're a weatherman, uh, an international <laughs> athlete, um, the, the Strava King and now a YouTube sensation. Um, so, you know, where can you see the YouTube, you know, your YouTube account going? Where, what's your aspirations? What's your goals for it? Oh, I've already seen how we get the first award and I saw it's a hundred thousand subscribers. So it's going to be hard to get to that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Kieran's doing, Kieran does the, all, everything for he's, he's very, he loves it to bits and he's absolutely killing it for me. I, I'm there behind the camera like, what do I do? What do I do? And he writes the scripts and stuff. So 
I give him absolutely all the credit. I, I need to buy him. I bought him a couple of takeaways, but I need I am a lot more <laughs> a lot more stuff. Love it. Um, yeah, obviously Kieran's uh, is still recovering from um, from his injury or coming back. Yes. Yeah, yeah, he's getting back into it. So he's starting training again. Not not running just yet, but just loading. So swimming, swimming, and some cycling. So he's getting back into it now. Oh, good stuff. Um, right back to quick fire questions. What is the best piece of advice that you've ever received? It's probably consistency. Like a big thing is, yeah, okay, Pete, you can get fit from one session, but I've seen a lot of people who do maybe say two good weeks of training and they think they're going to run such a good time. But the only reason I've run the time I have is because I put in the hard work every, like, I follow the same program every year. I do say 15, 16 weeks of training, have a week, week off and just follow the same pattern. It's boring. It's like the same thing. It's the same routine, but it's just the consistent training. Like you, I would rather have 10, 80% workouts than 300% and the rest be 30% or you don't do them. Like it should like, yeah, just be consistent. Yeah. That, I mean, that's massively important. Actually something that that's um, sometimes different to, to what we hear. You always hear the advice of, you know, just enjoy it and, and go for it. And yeah. That is, you know, that's definitely true. But the consistency part is so important. Like, I'm sure that you'd be, you'd much rather be running, you know, every week of the year rather than smash a month and then, and then sort of bomb out. Yeah, 100%. I think you're right there. And uh, on the flip side of that, what's the worst piece of advice that you've ever heard? So someone that's told you to do something and perhaps not do it. I'm thinking maybe don't finish the marathon, stop at 20 miles, like those sort of things. But no, what's it for you? I haven't really heard it, but I think a couple of coaches, I won't name any, but I I think what I get annoyed about is quite a few coaches train youngsters too early. So I've seen so many young girls, so many young boys blow out. And I've even got messages of like 14, 15 year old boy uh, guys saying, how many miles should I be doing? And I'm there just like, until I was thinking something, I was playing football, rugby. I I don't want anyone, like I still think I'm very young in the sport. I don't want to achieve what I think I can achieve until I'm like 28, 30, because I still think I'm too young in this sport. So when like 15, 16 year olds, um, when they're doing so many miles and just concentrating on the sport, I don't like it. I think like when I was 17, 18, I was never got, went to English schools. I was 32 seconds off the 3k time. So whenever youngsters talk to me, I'm like, just don't like, don't be good at the running. Just (laughs) go out, enjoy football, rugby, hockey, all the other sports, because when you do step up to running, it can get quite lonely, but you don't need to show anything when you're young. Like it's all about when you're a bit older and building that base and not blowing out. So important and and great advice there. I think just a takeaway from athletes at, at any level, really to, for, for the majority, they're not going all in, um, you know, for someone like yes. yourself who has that, you know, that um, professional contract and it is your, you know, your full-time job. Um, as you mentioned, you know, it's not the same for, for everyone. So I think especially for, for young kids. And one thing that I've learned a lot since, you know, full-time work is that the structure of school gives you a lot of, um, you know, opportunity to, to actually get consistent, like you mentioned and have that, um, that sort of structure. So, you know, use it to your advantage really, you know, yes, just get training consistent and, uh, and keep, keep on smiling, keep on enjoying it. But I think in the world of, you know, there's so much information and, and, you know, people could follow anyone on Strava or see what they're doing on Instagram. I think the danger is sometimes that they always think they should be doing more. We're actually, they're probably, um, probably good. Just, just ticking along. Um, if there was one thing that you could change in the sport, what would it be? I don't really know. It's like, 
I think I think everything's everything is doing maybe more like teams like you know in the Premier League they have like they 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 try to do it in the marathon. I remember they created like a like it was in a Germany race. I know was it Jess Piasecki who did it, where it was like she was like part of like six different teams and they had it was like a team sponsorship. But I would love that to be like a football side where they're like they created teams. They did. Oh no, actually I have one. You know they're like the Tour de France. Yeah, I would love something like that. But like each day you do something. Say for two weeks each day. Is a different race. There's teams. There's transfers. That's why I'm changing the sport. Like go, go along the Tour de France route. I think just just come out of it. Yeah, I like it. I like the uh, I like the ideas there. and especially you know some like new ideas when it comes to the team atmosphere as well. I feel like that can just create a lot more engagement on the fan side as well. Like how many people just you know die for football teams and you know completely hate others. And I actually think sometimes we don't have. Um, enough rivalries in the sports for for us to be able to do that but um but yeah um and then the final one that i have is if there was anyone that you could get on this podcast um and i would drop them a dm phone them up get them on the pod and you would stop your day to listen to them who would it be any anyone any anyone like you can have have anyone you can have um you could do one athlete and then one like anyone in the world uh, okay, Dua Lipa. If you got her on the pod, I'll definitely listen to that. Um, and then I don't really know. I'm trying to like. I don't want to say like one of like a mainstream one. I want to think like quite a, a different athlete. I don't really know. I'm gonna have to think about that one. Oh, you know, actually, you know, I'd love. Um, I've actually forgotten his name. He is in America. He's trained with. He has done some sessions. Matt Lano. Okay. In America, yeah, he's a he's a. Oh, I would love to listen to him. I've what I think he got me into endurance running. He's from America and he does like the halves and stuff. But yeah, I remember watching one of his first videos and he did like twenty five by four hundred meters on the road. But in order to remember how many reps he was on, he had like six, seven caps and he would swap each hat every four. So <laughs> no yeah, way. He's, cool. Yeah, he's he's quite cool. I oh, rate that. We like uh, might um have to drop him a little DM. See what's going yeah. on. That'd be awesome. Um, Jake, uh, if people want to find you on, uh, not in person, obviously that would be weird. Don't give us your address. Um, but if they could, if they need to find you on social media or perhaps your Strava, um, where can they find you? So my Instagram is just called Jake Liam Smith 98. And I think my Strava is just, it's just Jake, Jake Smith as well. Simple as that. Well, Jake, thank you so much for um, being on the podcast. I feel like this is a long time coming, but I really appreciate your time. And it's, no, I've uh, loved it. It's been a, it's been a really good time. So, um, really looking forward to to catching up with you um, really soon. Thank you every ever so much for everyone listening. Uh, make sure that you're subscribing to the podcast. If you want to donate to the podcast, you can also do that. Um, there's merchandise on the website, and there's an Instagram page that you can all go and check out. Um, but again, from myself, Sam Crick, the host of Crickcast, and Jake Smith, we'll see you very Thanks soon. Thanks very much for having me on. Thanks, Jake. See ya.